With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer, Grant Wall, SI.com's Brian Strauss, and SI.com's Liv Bird. Want to jump right into some U.S. Women's National Team World Cup champion talk. Uh, Grant and Liv let's start with you guys. You were there in Vancouver watching the U.S. women win their third World Cup championship and doing it in just unbelievable fashion. Four goals in 16 minutes. Uh, Carly Lloyd with an, an insane hat trick. Grant, you've covered this team for what, two decades nearly. Uh I mean, what was it like seeing this just transpire in front of you? Well, I mean, like, I'm, I think I was a little like Abby Wambach was in the bench. She said that she, you know, wasn't sure that she was actually really living this thing, really seeing it happen before her to have four U.S. goals in the first 16 minutes, three of them by Carly Lloyd, including the third one uh, from midfield. Uh, <laughs> is it's kind of crazy even just to say that, you know, much less to witness it. And to have been in the, in the stadium uh, with Leview that night was, um, it's just something that you'll never forget, you know, if you've been following U.S. soccer for years and years, uh, like I have, um, you you realize how how special that is, how uh, how unique it is, how this was just a coming together of uh, athletes and occasion that we may never ever see again, um, and to have it come uh, in the World Cup final, uh, 16 years after the U.S. had last won a World Cup, uh, it just becomes this this moment in time. And uh, so, you know, to to be there for it was pretty cool. Uh, to to see this U.S. team, which had struggled offensively uh, in the earlier parts of the tournament, just become a juggernaut. Uh, against the defending world champions and play so well in the last two games uh, against the two toughest opponents they face, Germany and Japan, it, it really does show you that the the World Cup is a is a, a twisting narrative and can take you in so many places that you never would have expected. Um, so yeah, to be in Vancouver that night was uh, something unique. It was outrageous. I mean, just watching from afar is just one of those things that just felt surreal as well. I mean, the only thing I can really can compare to it is, is Germany, Brazil from the Men's World Cup last summer. Just seeing, uh, you know, goal after goal, such rapid succession, and and one team that is one of the world's best teams, just so shell shocked and and just unable to cope, uh, and everything just unfolding so quickly. And you know, rarely do you see a, a match of that magnitude just over so soon and like granted japan got back within two maybe planted the seed of doubt a little bit that wow this could also be the most epic collapse in sports history uh but you know then tobin heath goes and, and scores the fifth and and that was that uh leave you just, just your take there as as well i know uh you know you've 
been big on, on Morgan Bryan's presence on this team and, and how she was able to allow Carly Lloyd the freedom to, to kind of go forward and, and be the offensive force that she was. Uh, just just what did you see uh, that night and, and really over the last couple of games? Well, I'll tell you what. That was, um, it was the first World Cup final that I've ever covered in person, and I think I'm spoiled now. Every, every one of them is going to have to be like that or else I'll be disappointed. Um, no, it was... I mean, it was definitely uh, the most incredible thing I've seen in person on a, on the soccer field. And, you know, like, like Grant said, I mean, <laughs> it's just something that, that you're never going to forget. Sitting there in BC Place watching the U.S. score goal after goal and just, just really take it to Japan. It was, it was really something to behold. Um, you know, like you said, I th- you know, Morgan Bryan did play a, another important role again. It's hard to, to say that she really had much to do with the set-piece goals because those are set-pieces and they're completely different, sure. although she did yeah. win the first corner for the U.S. Um, you know, th- this this kind of unleashing of Carly Lloyd that we've seen, this, this ability to, to play higher up the field and to be more creative in the attack, I think it really does stem from that one change. I asked Jill Ellis about it after the game, and she said, you know, it makes sense that you ride the hot hand, and, and Carly had been doing so well for us that I just decided that she needed to play higher. Once 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 Ellis saw what that Morgan Bryan could do the job in, in defensive midfield, um, there was really no point in, in keeping trying to keep Carly Lloyd back uh, too deep on the field. Just let her go and, and let her let her do what she does. And you know, in a way it's not it's not a hundred percent surprising she would score an outrageous goal like she did. Uh, she's always been good at, at taking shots from outside the penalty area and, and making something of them. But of course that one was a little bit farther than most of the goals that she scored for the U S. I mean, it was nuts. I mean, who, <laughs> who, who does that in, in a world cup final, who tries that, who, who has the gall to pull it off and, and then, to cap a hat trick in 16 minutes and put your team up for not like what that's it's i uh, i was reflecting after the game and it it was even more outrageous in the moment you know a few hours later than than when it actually happened uh it's just just one of those things you'll never forget and and just the goal that'll be played on highlight reels forever um now grant last year we you know put out this list of of the top 10 most significant goals in in u.s soccer history um we might need to make an amendment i (laughs) i did some thinking about this curious on on your thoughts um now naturally this you know this wasn't a last minute winner but a 55 yard strike from midfield in a world cup final to essentially be a nail in a coffin for this team trying to end a 16 year drought and to cap the run of games that she had had to, to kind of win the golden ball. Where where do you think this comes in? Well, I really, I'm really proud of the, these top 10 goals in us history project that we did last year. It lives on the web. It's, it's fun to read. It's kind of a historical document. And now we have this new piece of history and you ask the question, but you should, where does this fit in? Uh, One thing I would say is, is that I, I think we, we included male and female goals for the U.S. in the same top 10 list. And maybe that's, if I could go back in time, I might separate it out and have top, top five male and top five women. This is the, the greatest goal by the U.S. women's national team ever. Um, just the, the stakes of the game, a World Cup final, uh, the, uh, 
the audacity of the goal, uh, just the I, I can't believe I just saw that aspect to it. Uh, the you know the fact that it came as a, the third goal of a hat trick in the first 16 minutes of a World Cup final, like it's 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 number one on the women's side for me. And and then the question becomes, where does it relate to the the Paul Caligiuri goal in 19? 19- 89 that qualified the U.S. for that first World Cup in 40 years and started the modern era of American soccer. And they're really two different, it's like apples and oranges almost, because you're talking about something, one goal kind of fed everything that's happened in the last 25 years of American soccer and took it to a new a new level. And one, Lloyd's goal, is just this remarkable uh, event uh, that won the U.S. a helped win the U.S. A, a World Cup final. So I would actually I'm sitting here right now, even just processing and thinking it through. And I know Brian Strauss is is going to probably have his own take on this eventually, but I'm going to put this number one. I think this is a just a an a remarkable soccer goal that so many people saw in this country, and is the the result of what Caligiuri started and what those U.S. women's teams started in the mid to late 80s leading to their first World Cup title in 91. It's, it's a good debate to have and it's a little tough, the, the men and women thing, but greatest U.S. women's goal I've ever seen and I'm going to give it number one overall. Interesting. I Yeah, I, I was kind of going back. My battle was, was kind of one or, or two if we're trying to compare these two things. And, and like you said, I mean, just the significances of, of each are, are vastly different. I think we had landed Donovan's goal against Algeria at number two. And as remarkable as that was, as grand as that was, um, obviously, you know, it's, it's a, a moment that any American sports fan, not just a soccer fan, anyone knows what you're talking about. Uh, I, I, you know, all due respect that that put the U S in the round of 16 and then they lost this, this capped the world cup. Um, and, and for me, it's definitely one or two. Um, but I do like the idea of, of kind of splitting, you know, men's and, and women's. And, and I would agree that, that it's definitely the number one women's goal, um, as well. Livy, what, what do you think? Number one women's goal for sure. In terms of the, the pure, I guess, skill and the, the goal itself taking, if you were to take this goal in a vacuum and none of the other circumstances matter, this is definitely the best goal in American soccer history. We add in the circumstances. I, I don't know. I think it only gets better. I mean, World Cup final. Um, it, there is something to be said for the fact that it was her third goal, and they were already up three nil. So maybe it's um, I don't know. Maybe if you're if you're down by one, or if you're tied, or whatever, do you take that chance? You know, this is we could open a can of worms talking about Car- this Carly Lloyd might. Carly Lloyd might. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's true. She did talk about after the game about her her visualization and about you know hey uh, when I you know when I was visualizing this at home before the tournament I would you know take the ball to the field trained by myself and I envisioned scoring four goals in the World Cup final. All right, well, fair play to you then. She's um, disappointed. Yeah, she did sound disappointed. She's like, man, I, you know, where's the, where's the last one? <laughs> no, but uh, you know, my my internal debate was. Is this better than Landon Donovan's goal? Is it more significant than Landon Donovan's goal? And you know, getting getting into the round of sixteen versus winning a World Cup final. I mean, I th- I think Carly Lloyd's goal has to win it on on that basis. Um, and I, I mean, Avi will attest to this because he edits this for me every week. But my power rankings are always like in terms of numbering 
I often don't know where to put things, so I'm still kind of on the fence here. But you know, it's it's definitely definitely the best women's goal, and and I mean, if you can compare men's and women's and, and all the different circumstances and everything, which is extremely difficult to do, it, it's probably number one overall as well. Yeah, it's uh, just just remarkable. You know, it's funny too. She actually had a chance at a fourth, a golden chance at a fourth. She had a header that went wide. Yeah, uh, that's true. Of the post, I, I can't believe that. Who who says they're going to score four goals in a World Cup final, and then basically uh, almost does? You know, it's uh, one thing to dream about it because as little kids, you know, you do the you do the thing in the backyard where you you know you're shooting on the hoop and you're commentating. Oh, three seconds to go, three, two, one, er, and then as you, as the buzzer goes, you you nail a you know whatever a, a three pointer to win the the NBA championship. And everybody, I think, fantasizes about those kind of things, but to have it actually come true and been or almost come true i guess three quarters of the way true uh is i mean that's that's something yeah and i granted you had a, a quote from sunil galati uh in your post game piece on planet football that that he said it was um you know up there i don't know the exact the exact wording you can you can totally correct me on this but basically one of the greatest if not the greatest world cup final performance man or or woman um and it's hard to argue with that right oh yeah i mean it's only the second time male or female has had a, a hat trick in a world cup final uh jeff hurst uh had one in 1966 for england um you know he didn't have a goal from the halfway line <laughs> uh, so um yeah i mean it gets a little apples to oranges with, with all the comparisons sometimes, but it's just, it's something that I think will even grow with time. You know, it's, it's so hard in the moment sometimes to, to grasp, you know, the history and all of that. But now to, you know, as the days go by and as we see these videos over time, the legend will grow of, of this game. And, 5-2 in a World Cup final. I mean, how many good World Cup final games have we seen, men's or women's, in, in the last 20, 30 years? Not many, and certainly not a lot of goals. Uh, I was just talking before the game uh, with uh, Ari Hengst, uh, my partner at Fox, uh, about how you know there hadn't been many good World Cup final games uh, in recent history, or, or ones that we remember for a lot of goals or entertainment. And... We were hoping this would be one of them, and I felt conservative after this game, having predicted three-one USA. When I first put that out there, I was like, "Wow, I'm really, you know, you know, going out on a limb here with the amount of goals." And this was like, I think it was the most goals in a World Cup final, male or female, ever, tied with the '58 final, uh, Brazil five, Sweden two. Same score, um, and you know that game is remembered for the emergence of Pele, this teenager. Uh, and this game will be remembered for for Carly Lloyd, uh, and you know the fact that so many Americans were were watching this. This was the biggest television audience in U.S. history for a soccer game, male or female. And uh, that's the thing: is is legends do things when the stakes are highest. Legends do things when there are the most eyeballs on a game, and so that's you know Carly Lloyd has earned her place in history with this game she could she could retire tomorrow and this will will probably be the high point and and in what she's remembered for and that's got to be uh, a cool feeling for sure and I, I think the ticket sales people with the houston dash hope that she does not retire tomorrow <laughs> uh necessarily um 
But yeah, hey, look, I I'm the moron who essentially predicted a scoreless draw going to PKs. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's safe to say nobody saw this coming, uh, at least of this magnitude. And uh, and it's just one of those finals that World Cup runs, really, that we'll remember forever. Um, And and like you've written, you know, this this team kind of created their own legacy now. Um, You know, they're out of out of the shadow of the 99ers who who, you know, take nothing away from them. Uh, They're their era, their team was was phenomenal, and and out they've they've got some company, and and that's a good thing. Um, let's, let's spin it forward with this team a little bit now, because that's what we do, right? We never live in the moment. We never just soak in what what happened. Uh, we got Olympics next summer, and then obviously France twenty nineteen in in four years. Uh, a lot of questions facing this team. There are a lot of. Of the the key components getting older, Abby Wambach, of course, Christina and Pone, forty, and and what a sight it was to watch them lift the trophy together. I thought that was one of the cooler things uh, that happened the other night. Um, I, do you see Abby Wambach playing for the U.S. national team next summer, Grant? Uh, I would doubt it. I don't think there's anything 100% at this point. Uh, It was interesting in the mix zone after the game, Alex Morgan said that she sat down with Abby Wambach in the locker room for a couple minutes after the game, and they had a just kind of a one-on-one conversation. And Morgan said she was tearing up, asking Wambach, is this the last time I've played with you? And according to Morgan... Her uh, Wambach's response was, well, you're not quite rid of me yet. There's at least a couple more months. So I'm thinking the the victory tour that is coming, uh, the 10-game series of uh, friendlies around the U.S. that is part of the player's contract with U.S. soccer, um, you know, that's that's likely to be Wambach's swan song. You know, uh, Wambach herself didn't want to make any announcements after the game, but... uh, I have a just knowing what I know. I, I doubt she'll be part of the Olympic effort. There's only 18 players in the Olympics per team, as opposed to 23 um, for for this tournament, the World Cup. And uh, you know, Wambach decided not to play club soccer before this tournament. And you know, she had told me in my cover story before uh, the World Cup. Uh, you know, she's in a different place now in her life, uh, where family is really important to her. Uh, wanting to have kids is important to her. So I, I, I want to say never about the Olympics, but I, I, I think if I'm leaning one way, I, I think she's Wambach is uh, going to stop playing for the national team after this victory tour. And, you know, it, it makes sense too, right? Go out on top with the World Cup oh, yeah. and, then, and then, you know, take a, an extended victory lap and, and a deserved one at that. Um, and like you said, with, with 18 players, that – you don't want to be in a position where you're not going out on your own terms because if she makes herself available for the Olympics and then doesn't get picked, that's a pretty terrible right. way to go out. Right. Uh, so it's yeah, I think sensibly uh, it that that adds up. Um, and and Graham, what do you make of Jill Ellis now? Because she was brought in to do a job. The job was done, uh, but it was also done under just heavy scrutiny and, and criticism. And she eventually got it right, and now is getting a lot of. A lot of praise, rightfully so. Um, is she a long-term coach for this group? Uh, I, I think she's going to coach through the Olympics. Uh, she certainly won the right to do that by by winning this tournament. You know, it's. I think this is all part of the the process of how it works in a soccer country. She took the job a year before the World Cup. Tough circumstances, but knew 
what she was accepting too. And she said this over and over again that uh, a lot of scrutiny comes with being the U.S. women's national team coach. This is like being the Brazil men's coach. And there's only one acceptable result. That's winning the World Cup. And if the team doesn't look like it's going to do that and there's things to criticize, that coach is going to get criticized and that's all part of it. Um, and I think Jill Ellis is, uh, is mature enough and she, she gets it. Um, now, it is a process and I think it's a, a good reminder that just because the U.S. was pretty anemic in the attack in the first couple games of, of this World Cup doesn't mean that it won't go to a different place. And tactically, Jill Ellis deserves a lot of credit for making the decision, one, to, to bench Abby Wambach in the middle of the tournament, the greatest scorer in the history of the game internationally, and, and essentially replace her with Morgan Bryant, the youngest player on the team, 22 years old, who hasn't played at a, against the really top teams in the world at a, this kind of defensive midfielder position, and to, to change the tactical approach to have three central midfielders, uh, which really only happened from the start in the last two games of this tournament, but those were the two best attacking games for the U.S. when Carly Lloyd ran rampant. Um, and so that decision, it's one thing to play Morgan Bryan against China, a lesser team, when you have to because Lauren Holiday is suspended on yellow cards. But it's quite another to decide I'm going to play Morgan Bryan and keep Wambach on the bench against Germany and Japan. So Jill Ellis deserves a ton of credit now. And, and this is... This is the way sports works. So enjoy it, Jill Ellis. You deserve it. Um, you had a lot of guts, and congratulations. We'll see you at the Olympics. Okay. Uh, and and you look at now Brian. She's part of of the youth foundation that there is on this team. As as many aging players as there are, and and players who have been around for a while, um, there are you know a good handful of of younger younger twenties. Uh, older 20s, I guess, who who you would expect to see for the next four years in the build-up to France. Live you, uh, I guess, who do you see as as kind of like the rest of that foundation and, you know, trying to spin it ahead as much as, as we can? I mean, do you see a, a bulk of these players kind of coming back in France? You know, it's – I think it is time for kind of a, a changing of the guard, so to speak, this, you know, if you look at the two players who had, I think, the biggest impact on the way that the team played throughout the tournament, obviously Carly Lloyd was fantastic. She did what she did, and, and she's not going anywhere. But, um, you know, you look at Julie Johnson throughout the group stage, um, and she had a, a couple of, of rougher performances in the knockout round, scoring the own goal against Japan, giving up the penalty against Germany. But um, overall, I thought she was she was very good one of the younger players on the team. And then, of course, Morgan Bryan, who, you know, I wrote that column saying basically she's the reason the U.S. won the World Cup. And I, you know, I didn't exactly put it that way, but I honestly, that's that's kind of the way I feel. Um, and, you know, I, I will, I guess I, I will temper a little bit the, the praise on Jill Ellis just because of the fact that it, it felt like she kind of fell backward into the solution, like uh, with Lauren Holiday's suspension, it felt a little bit like she she didn't really have a choice but to play Morgan Bryan in central midfield because even before that she was getting more time on the wing or just in relief uh, spells in, in central midfield and it just it, you know she wasn't playing her her normal position 
And uh, so it feels like a little bit she, she, she got a little bit lucky. But again, you, you create your own luck. You need luck to, to win these things. And, and you know, credit to her for once, once it happened, for recognizing what was going on and for seeing that, hey, she needs to be on the field. Maybe Abby Wambach would do better off the bench. Um, so she does deserve credit for that. You know, spinning it forward, I, I think Brian and Johnston have to be kind of the, the, the foundation for this team. Uh, based on their experience at the World Cup and then moving forward into the Olympics. I think, you know, if, if we're looking at other younger players, because um, the U.S. actually didn't even have a player who was eligible for the Young Player Award at this tournament, which is, uh, it's astounding. But, um, you know, Crystal Dunn, she's 23. I think she should have been on this on this squad. And she's been having a spectacular NWSL season while the team is uh, at the World Cup. Um and so I think she deserves another look. You know, there, there's other other players who are kind of flying under the radar. Uh, I, I've thought for a while that uh, Kalia Ojai, who also plays for Houston, um, should be in the picture. Uh, there, there's a couple of, of other players like that who I hope will will kind of rise to it now that now that the U.S. is kind of in this transition moment a little bit. Uh, the biggest question mark for me, and I, I don't even have an answer for this, and, and I don't think you can have a, an exact replacement for this, but when Hope Solo retires from the international game, whether it's after this World Cup, whether it's after the Olympics, whether it's after the next World Cup or whenever, I mean, who, who do you replace her with? How can you replace the best goalkeeper in the world who has been playing so many games for the U.S., hasn't really had uh, you know, an heir apparent uh, even in the U.S. system, um, and that's going to be a, a key component that whoever's tasked with, with finding the next Hope Solo or, you know, her replacement, at least, because I don't know if you can find the next Hope Solo. That's going to be that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. A lot of a lot of questions for the future. Um, now, now, let's not forget as well that, you know, Sydney LaRue, Alex Morgan, you know, there are there are attacking talents and, oh, yeah. you know, in place and, you know, they're not going anywhere. And they it's crazy to me that that LaRue didn't score in this World Cup. Alex Morgan scored once. Abby Wambach scored once. Kristen Press scored once, who's another younger player, or, you know, comparatively. Uh, and while they didn't necessarily score in volume, those three goals were all game winners. So it's, you know, the forwards, while they might not have had the the breakout massive tournament, I think, that we all expected, I think we all expected Alex Morgan would be in, in the golden boot race. I think we expected Abby Wambach would score a couple uh, they still made an impact. Um, they still put pressure on defenses. They opened things up. Um, look, what can what can you say? You know, they. Well, I mean, I, I look at it moving forward here, and and I I kind of doubt that Wambach, Christy Rampone, Shannon Box, all on this team. I doubt they will be involved in the Olympics. Uh, due to the number situation, due to the fact that you do need to get more young players involved. Um. You know, to get a Crystal Dunn involved, to get an Ohio involved, uh, the two youngest players on the U.S. team, Johnston and Brian, were two of the most important players in this World Cup run. Um, it's kind of screwy the scheduling, of the calendar of women's soccer that the big major world events are in consecutive years, and then you have two years where you don't have one. And so, um, I, I look at who might stick around, who might not. Players that are in their 30s, early 30s, Hope Solo, Carly Lloyd, 
I think they'll definitely stick around for the Olympics. I think the question becomes, what do they do after that? Those, those two players in particular are they're soccer players. They they have no desire to retire anytime soon. They're playing at a very high level. Um, so my guess is I could see those guys, you know, going through the next World Cup. Interesting, interesting indeed. Also, another in the that thirty crowd, Megan Rapinoe, Becky Sauer run, mm. uh, who are both vital to to the U.S. success, especially early on Rapinoe, and then. Sauerbrunn, just her consistency across the board in the back. Um, another person, another name I, I just want to throw out there before we um, before we go too far away from this is uh, Lindsay Horan, who's been playing mm-hmm. for PSG. Uh, she's you know she signed her professional contract with them when she was I believe eighteen. Was it? She decided not to play college soccer and just go over and and play for PSG in the French league. And uh, I mean. As of uh, you know, as of right now, forty nine appearances, forty goals for PSG in the League One, and uh, you know she's only twenty one years old. Somebody who it's kind of interesting that for the U.S. national team, if you want to be called in, you kind of have to be playing in the U.S. Uh, and these players, we've seen players who have come back from Europe who maybe started to get looks while they were in Europe, but when they came back over, you know, thinking Megan Klingenberg, Kristen Press, um, uh, Whitney Engen. When when they came back over to the NWSL, that was when they really seriously started to get looks from the national team. I think it, that's interesting and maybe something that, that needs to be broken a little bit, something that the U.S. needs to be reaching, trying to reach these players who are playing abroad. Um, got a, a few players in the French League with American passports, you know, a few players in Germany uh, who, who could make a difference for the national team. And I think it's time to maybe expand that, that search perimeter a little bit. Well, we will definitely see what the future holds. Uh, but hey, whatever worked for, for getting this 23-player crew together uh, definitely did the job. So, congratulations to the U.S. women uh, on a on a memorable run, a uh, third World Cup championship, and uh, something that gives us a pretty good summer. Pretty pretty enjoyable to to watch to cover. I'm sure you guys had a, a blast being out in in Vancouver and and in Canada, Grant, for the last six weeks. Um, so. Thank you guys also. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that'll, that'll put a bow on that. The U.S. women return to action uh, in August. Got a couple of friendlies against Costa Rica. Big ticket sales already for that. I think one of those sold out in like a day. Um, so the, the fever is there. So, you know, check out these players. Check them out at their NWSL teams in your cities. Um, and, and, look, they, they played a great brand of soccer over the last – well, definitely the last couple of games and, and overall – uh, did the job uh, in Canada to to win it all. And with that, we're going to bring in Brian Strauss. He is on the road with the U.S. men's national team as they attempt to win their second straight Gold Cup and clinch a place in the 2017 FIFA Confederations Cup. Brian, welcome. Hi, Avi. I think I'm in Massachusetts. <laughs> it's uh, It's been a whirlwind of a, of a few days. You started down in, in Frisco, Texas. Beautiful Frisco. Uh, and and here you're on Foxborough. It's my, it's my stomping grounds right there. I grew up that's next right. town no, over. Frisco, has, Frisco, that whole area ha- really has some of the nicest access roads and uh, on-ramps that I've seen. It's, it's, it's lovely. <laughs> I'm not uh, even in Foxborough. Like I think technically I'm in, but really I'm just kind of in the woods at a comfort <laughs> hey, But it's nice. Like I said, be careful. That's, that's my hometown you, you could be talking about. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I was just talking with Gretchen Livio uh, about the Women's World Cup. Obviously, um, did they have fun? 
they did have fun. They had a blast. Obviously, how could you not watching that that last game? One for the one for the storybooks. Um, and and one way to kind of tie in Gold Cup and, and Women's World Cup, we're talking about our, our top ten goals in U.S. soccer history. Benny Felhaber's Gold Cup goal, the one that won the two thousand seven Gold Cup against Mexico, that ridiculous volley. Uh, that's that's on our list. I was I was honored to get to write that one. That 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 whole project was amazing. I mean, I, I'm still proud of that. Uh, but but to get to do Benny's goal was a was a treat. Yeah, that goal was was awesome. Um, and and before we go on to to talk about the the men's team now and, and the Gold Cup, kind of wanted to get your take on on where Lloyd's goal stands. I know uh, it's just just cool conversation fodder at this point. Well, I was thinking about that actually. I was thinking about our list because we did it right before the World Cup last year, and then I was thinking about it again when Brooks scored against Ghana, and mm-hmm. I started thinking about wow, with the winning goal against Ghana. The World Cup nemesis, the goal that got the U.S. into the knockout stage, that that really cemented Klinsman's tenure and extension with the national team. How big was that goal? Would that goal have made it onto the top ten list? Um, and now, now here we are again. Maybe we should just re- resurrect this thing every few years. Now we here we are with uh, with Carly Lloyd. That's a good. I didn't even think about about Brooks's goal, but yeah, you're you're 100 right. Um, yeah, it's it's just a cool project, and it's it's cool to to just kind of take these these great moments in US soccer history and, and kind of put them in in their place. Do you do you see Lloyd's goal up with with the Caligiuri and, and the Donovan where we had and and one and two? Do you find it just because it wasn't the game winner necessarily that that it isn't as significant? It it certainly was spectacular. I mean, if we did a list of top, of top 10 spectacular US goals, it's high on the list. But yeah, it wasn't the winning goal. Um, it certainly was. It was the. I don't even know if it was the backbreaker. I mean, you know, the third goal was probably the backbreaker. Um, I, I think it was the second most significant goal in in U.S. women's soccer history. I still don't see how it passes Michelle Akers in overtime of the first Women's World Cup final. The goal that won them the first tournament. The goal that that allowed this entire program to set a championship tone uh, that has now lasted. Uh, for how long has it been? 25 years. Um, so, so to me, that's still going to be a game winner in the first Women's World Cup final. It is still going to be the biggest goal in the history of that program. And I think where did we have that at at four on our list? So, so yeah. So then I would put Carly Lloyd's goal at, at five or six. Interesting. Interesting. Definitely a different take than. Uh, than what all of us. Have. I assume but, I, I assume I'll have an inbox full of hate mail as soon as this thing <laughs> hits iTunes. Nah, uh, look, but yeah, no, I mean it, it wasn't. Again, I mean we're talking about significance, and 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 it was awesome. And here's the other thing: is is we've all after '99, um, after a couple of the Olympics, we've all sort of waited for this breakthrough for for women's soccer below the national team level. When when it when is the success? You know, when is the engine of the women's national team going to start to bring people out to NWSL games and, and, and things of that nature? So I think part of the story of that goal maybe hasn't been written yet. Um, if, we, if, we see, if we see people, if this team is really like Donovan's goal, you know, that was the thing for me about Donovan's goal against Algeria is that, is that you know, like I wrote, you know, soccer hit the mainstream at that moment. That was a big moment for the sport in this country. And I don't know yet if we know whether or not Carly Lloyd's goal is going to really bring women's soccer overall uh, to a different level in between World Cups or if it's now after the hype going to sort of settle back to where it was. So so maybe in a couple of years, maybe maybe my opinion of it will change. Interesting. That's a fair point, I think. Uh, and, and we'll see. Uh, initial ticket sales uh, from NWSL teams are 
are apparently up, uh, which awesome. is which is good. Yeah, whether those players actually play this weekend is another story altogether. I should get up to uh, <laughs> Germantown one of these days and see the spirit. I, I uh, I'm guilty too. I have yet to make what is it? It's a, it's a 45 minute to an hour drive. Uh, I have yet to do it, and and I should. I love that complex. It's a great place. Um, all right. Anyway, let's 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 spin it back now to the men. Uh, you're with them. You're with them. Uh, down in in Texas, they beat Honduras two one. Uh, it's a win, like. With any group stage, style points don't really matter all that much. Three points count way more. Um, what what was your takeaway from from that opening game? And and are there kind of red flags you see with this team, or or it's you know it's it's a good win over a quality opponent? Uh, yeah, more of more of the latter. I, I think of I think I don't know, not a red flag, maybe a, a pink flag. <laughs> um, you know, they, they certainly thought they were going to have more of the ball, and 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 you know, talking to the guys before the game. Uh, they expected the challenge in that game to be Honduras is going to be really well organized. Pinto's got them playing five in the back. You know, how are we going to find space and seam and, and, and figure out a way to move those guys in order to get the chances we need to win the game? That was how they were going in. And, and of course, the challenge, that wasn't the challenge. The challenge turned out to be holding on for dear life. Um, Honduras had more of the ball. Uh, they were better with the ball in the offensive half than the U.S., their pressure really kind of got, got, got the U.S. midfield a little bit discombobulated. So rather than, rather than passing it around and trying to figure out how to break through, uh, they were simply trying to hold on to the ball. And, and so it, it was challenging. They expected it to be a challenge. The challenge just turned out to be a little bit different uh, than they expected. So, um, you know, and they know that. And we talked to them after the game, and we were down at training this morning, talked to them again, and, and they all acknowledged you know, we got to be we got to be a bit sharper on the ball. We have to be, you know, Kyle Beckerman made an interesting point, you know, talking about, you know, you, you see a little bit of space to move when you cross midfield. You know, do you go? Do you, do you try to hit that space as quickly as you can and maybe take advantage of an opportunity? Or do you say to yourself, you know, we're better served uh, moving the ball around a little bit and getting some touches and getting some rhythm and, and, and giving the rest of the team time to, to, to move into the attack and, and give a bit more support off the ball and things like that. And he said, it's about making better choices, you know, during the course of a match. And so they you know, they all said, we'll watch the video. We'll figure it out. These games come really quickly. The gold cup is really compressed. Um, and certainly Honduras is probably the toughest team in their group. So they got through that, and they're in good shape, and they'll, they'll build during the course of this tournament, just like the women did. I mean, everyone was in hysterics after the first couple uh, games uh, that the women's national team played in Canada, and look how they finished up. So I think, I think the, uh, the men are going to be looking to do something similar. Exactly. You don't, you know, it's nice if they win 6 nothing and, and look like the best team in the world, but then if there's, there's not improvement on that, then, then what does that mean? It's the first game of the group stage. So. Yeah, and, and Klinsman has options. I mean, guys, yeah. you know, you want to hold the ball a bit more? I mean, maybe, maybe mixed discrude is an option. You know, we're, still, we're, still, we're all sort of wondering how Ali Bedoya is doing and coming back from his, his, his knee situation. Aaron Johansson didn't play the other night. Um, you've got guys like, like uh, Omar Gonzalez and Tim Ream uh, who, who, who can bring a little bit more experience in back. So, so there, you know, it's not like Klinsman has exhausted all of his options here, and and, there, and there's plenty to look at going into the next two group stage games. Of course, and I feel like the the Gold Cup, like Copa America too, uh, it's it's a slugfest in a lot of ways, and you need to have depth. Uh, their their yellow cards will happen, injuries might happen, uh, and and the way that these games kind of play, they're they're never they're never a. a, a a work of art, right? It's it's very rarely uh, a beautiful, stylish game in, in these Concacaf games. Um, so it's you know, in a lot of ways, it's a matter of, of these teams. These teams. The Gold Cup is. I mean, Copa America is every four. I mean, obviously, the Conmebol is only ten teams, 
Um, so, so they're used to playing each other. They play each other twice in qualifying, and then, and then in the in the gold. And I'm sorry, in the Copa America. But that's Copa America is now every four years. The Gold Cups every two years. Plus, you've got you know you've got to play what I mean. The U.S. coming in in the semifinal stage in Mexico. Those teams still have to play 16 matches uh, to qualify for the World Cup, which is among the highest in the world. They're all playing each other. Um, these teams. Big point is these teams play each other all the time. And so as any, and in any sport, college sports, you know, hockey, the NHL, whatever, I mean, teams that play each other over and over and over again, things just get kind of gritty and nasty and, 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 and it, you know, the game decays a little bit because of familiarity and because of a little bit of, a little bit of extra. I mean, there were some hard fouls oh, yeah. the other night in Frisco and, and, and I think that's part of it as well. Uh, you know, it, it's just familiarity breeds contempt. And I, I don't know that there are any national teams in the world as familiar with each other as, you know, the, the top seven, eight teams in CONCACAF. They play each other all the time. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, too, I, you can comment on this better than I can. The weather conditions down in Texas, it seemed like it was more San Pedro Sula than it was USA. <laughs> we joked about that. <laughs> yeah. no, even standing, standing in the mix zone after the game. Like, we, you know, the players had showered and were coming out, and we were all a mess. <laughs> um, so we were, uh, Beckerman was laughing at us for kind of looking terrible. Um, yeah, no, it, it was really hot. And, and so when you see, you know, Altidore, who's trying to work his way back from a hamstring issue, when you see him come out on the hour, when you see uh, Andy Nahar, probably much to uh, the Americans' delight, come out after the hour, yeah. uh, guy, it, it, was, it was soupy and gross, and, and that absolutely played a role. So I think... I'm sure a lot of the guys are happy to be up here in uh, in the woods uh, to to play in some cooler temperatures against Haiti. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like you said, a lot of players uh, did not really get the chance to play in that opening game, and that bodes well going forward. Uh, Haiti, the second game, then Panama, and then uh, on to the knockout round. Um, real quick before we we kind of tie this all together, hardest game out of the way. Do you see the U.S. getting tripped up? At all, I mean Panama. Obviously, it's a final rematch from from two years ago, um, but it, it seems rather straightforward. And in my opinion, they might not win three nothing, but it, it seems like it's it's kind of all there for the taking. Yeah, I, what matters the most, obviously, is that they finish first or second, so I can go to Baltimore for the quarterfinal <laughs> and, instead of driving home from the Meadowlands uh, overnight to catch a flight to Atlanta early the next morning. Um, no, yeah, they'll be fine. Uh, I, I, Panama was not sharp uh, the other night. Um, you know, worst case scenario, maybe you know Jurgen decides to give a couple guys a rest, and 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 you know maybe that game I could see I could see a you know, a permutation where that game is a draw, but no, I mean, the U S the U S will win the group. And, and, uh, you know, as I said, o- over the course of, you know, this tournament in the four games leading up to the semifinal, uh, that's Jurgen's chance to really find the combinations and, 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 and some of the, uh, chemistry that's going to work. And, and he was not making excuses when he said this team had only been training together a week, you know, you know, in, in, including the Guatemala, uh, friendly. I mean, it's, you know, you got guys coming off seasons in Europe and Mexico, uh, you know, MLS guys integrating them. Brad Guzan made an interesting point the other night. We were asking him about just sort of the chemistry and back between Alvarado and Brooks and, 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 and uh, Timmy Chandler. And he said, look, these guys all, I mean, they play on different continents, you know, and, and, and so trying to integrate them and, and make everything seamless uh, in only a week is not going to be easy. And, and I honestly don't think that that's excuses. I mean, it's, it's something they're going to fight through. And, and the real issue, like with the women, the real issue is to be hitting your stride uh, when you get to the semi. Exactly. Uh, it's all it's all about building um, and and kind of getting 
to be at your best before the Costa Rica games, the Mexico games, the games that we all expect to see uh, in the later stages of this and, tournament. And, and you have the six changes, uh, the six roster changes you were able to make uh, after the group stage. So, you know, Jurgen can call in Carly Lloyd. <laughs> that uh, that would be unprecedented. It also might not be a bad move. The, the form that she's in right now goes straight from the uh, the parade in New York City down to, uh, down to the final game in Kansas City. Cool. Well, uh, well, thanks for for joining us from the road. I know you got a, a lot of work to be done, and we'll be sure to read all of it on uh, on Planet Football. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who didn't uh, stop the podcast after the uh, Women's World Cup talk. <laughs> got it. Uh, and thank all of you for listening once again. Uh, we'll have more Gold Cup talk next week for sure, and uh, and probably some more U.S. Women's talk too, riding out this victory wave. Uh, so thanks again to Grant Wall, Livy Bird, and Brian Strauss. I'm Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next week. about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.